You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. If you want to have guarantees, you have to buy a washing machine. We don't lose a match, either we win or we learn. And today we learn. And now, your host, Matt Markstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast and newsletter dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. Available right here on SouthamptonDelivery.com. My name is Matt Markson. I am the host of the show. No matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, thanks for making the show part of your day. I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you enjoyed your Christmas. I hope that you are enjoying your new year uh, wherever you are. And I hope that you're enjoying Saints' current form. Saints are definitely in their best run of form uh, all season. Maybe you could say even in recent seasons or recent months, at least. And it finally seems like Ralph has figured out what he wants the team to do. And the team have figured out what Ralph wants them to do. And they are executing that almost each and every match. Of course, Saturday's performance against Crystal Palace could have gone a little bit better. We could have taken all three points, but uh, we get out of there with a draw after beating Chelsea. Overall, I'm not sure we can complain. Uh, In fact, if you look back over December, it's been pretty lucrative for Saints in terms of points after averaging just 0.7 points per game. Uh, Over the first 13 weeks of the season, Saints have gotten almost two points a game since the end of November. So uh, definitely things seem to be turning. Hopefully things continue to go well and we push on uh, from here and continue that run of form. But we will see. And anyway, uh, joining me this week to discuss this uh, is Tom Murray. And if you have been listening in recent weeks, you'll know that we've had three Toms now in a row. So hopefully uh, we're just going to keep this trend going. Uh, If your name is Tom and you listen to the show Get in touch with me via the website at SouthamptonDelivery.com or find me on social media. We're at SFCDELL underscore IVERY. And as long as we keep winning, I will keep putting Tom's on the show because I feel like there might be a connection there. But anyway, uh, Tom, you can find him on Twitter at T214Murray. He is also one of the commentators for the blind and visually impaired fans. Uh, he does that via Alan March Sport. And there is a link to that in the show notes if you are interested or you know somebody that may benefit uh, from that service. So uh, Tom joins me. He's been on the show before. It's always fun to talk to Tom. So I'm glad to have him back on the show. But anyway, let's jump into the episode now. I want to thank you once again for listening to the last episode of 2019. Hopefully, uh, if you are not listening in 2019, hopefully it brings in your 2020 nicely. Uh, we jump around from Palace to Chelsea and a couple of other things. We answer a few listener questions as well, all of which I hope make the episode an enjoyable listen. So uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you so much for listening and giving us your time. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, we will talk to you on the other side. Enjoy the episode and thanks again. I'd like to welcome back to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, Tom Murray. You can find him on Twitter at T214Murray. And you can also find his commentary each and every match day uh, at home, at least at St. Mary's, uh, for Alan March Sports. So, Tom, welcome back to the show. And thank you so much for for joining me uh, on this weekend between Boxing Day and New Year's Day. 
uh, a busy round of fixtures, a busy time for everybody. But uh, thanks for making time to do the show. Thank you very much for having me on. It's always a pleasure to come on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, of course, uh, you have seen, I, I would say, the the worst part of Saints over the past uh, couple of weeks, which is not even necessarily that bad. Just you're not seeing the wins at home, but you are getting to see maybe uh, slightly more improved performances. And I think we can just enjoy, I think, what Saints have been doing over the past couple of weeks because it's, uh, it's a completely different team almost since the last international break to now. Exactly. And, you know, like, like you said, there's been a couple of games at home that have been annoying in terms of like the Everton game and the West Ham game. It's like matches that we thought we'd maybe start to pick up and then couldn't quite perform the same way that we've been doing away from home. Because away from home, we've been fantastic and we can't seem to quite replicate that type of performance at home. And it seems to be like a, a mental barrier that we need to get over. I mean, we we did beat Watford and Norwich, but they are, you know, 20th and 19th place teams. So they are teams at home that you really need to be winning. And yep, we did get the six points, but, you know, if we want to get further up the table, we need to be beating the teams that are more, a little bit higher than us, a bit uh, in and around us, like the types of teams such as Crystal Palace, who, to be fair, made life very difficult yesterday. But And we did well to come away with the point, almost snatched it at the end. But it's definitely been an improvement over the past few weeks. Yeah, and, it, and I think the team has been enjoyable to watch as well, The especially the away performances and just, I mean, I don't think many of us would have gone into Chelsea expecting uh, to take something from it. We would have said if we get a, get a draw away at Stamford Bridge and then beat Crystal Palace, we'll be happy. Um, it happens the other way around, of course. Uh, and I think that once we beat Chelsea, um, or I, I guess if you if you just go into it with, with that mindset of, of just get four points from these two games um, and then we do it, you'd be happy. But once we beat Chelsea, I think the expectation automatically rises for, for Crystal Palace and you say, you know, now now we can go forth and, and, and do that. And uh, unfortunately, it just didn't quite didn't quite happen. But uh, like you said, they they didn't make life very difficult. Uh, their their XG was not uh, was not anything to write home about. Uh, but we will discuss it uh, a little bit. But um, before we do any of that, let's let's talk very briefly about about you and Alan March Sport and and all of that stuff for just people who don't know. Um, maybe they're new to the show. But um, what is Alan March Sport, and then what what's the service they provide to fans at St Mary's and that you take part in? So Alan March Sport, a company that provide audio description, commentary, amongst other things, a, a wide range of uh, football grounds. So we've got, they've got teams in Leicester, in Nottingham Forest, Southampton, and recently this season, Wolves and Cardiff. There are a couple of uh, lower league teams such as Mansfield and Crawley as well in there. But at Southampton, they provide audio, um, part of an audio description, commentary team. It's a team of four. It's myself, Callum, Nick, and Andy. And uh, we... Basically, it's a type of commentary for blind and visually impaired fans, and it's, make, it's just describing the uh, the game to the minutest of details, to where the ball is at all times. That's the most critical part. It, you know, it, who, who's got the ball, and as long as you you can say where the ball is on the pitch and what direction it's going in, that that's the main thing. Because obviously, a lot of uh, other commentary teams, especially on television, where they don't need to describe every single pass because if you're watching it on the television, then you can, you, can, you can see what's going on. So they don't need to go into as much description as we do. But because we're doing it for blind and visually impaired fans, we need to be describe the movement of the ball to to the second, really. So you and the team provide a very important kind of service for um, all, all of the fans who are blind and visually impaired, both that are Saints fans and for fans that are visiting the, the, the stadium. And and you mentioned the other kind of places that that have this service. So if Saints fans go away, they can also um, 
obtain that service uh, at the away ground. And you're supposed to remain, I guess, uh, fairly impartial, uh, even though you are a Saints fan. Oh, yeah, we've got to remain, impar- uh, remain impartial because obviously if you may have supporters who are obviously away fans listening into it. And you've got to make sure that they're getting any uh, an equal service that the, the Saints fans are. And you want, you've got to remain impartial because you don't want, you want to, do, you know, if you've got both sets of fans listening in, you don't want to be too biased towards either team and just to remain as balanced as possible. And then it's an enjoyable experience for, for both sets of fans. The Major League Baseball here, we, you can buy a service where you get every game, every out-of-market game. So like I'm an Astros fan, so I can watch all the Astros games. And then you have the choice usually of, of home or away broadcast feeds. And sometimes you switch over to the other one uh, and it's, it's amazing. The level of, if you're a local radio, you know, so think of, of, of Adam and, and, but just Adam not caring at all that, that people know what team he's, he's supporting. There's no, there's no, um, because some of these teams have their own kind of broadcast team, you know? So, so you're hearing somebody actually employed by the team and it's not even close. They're not even trying to remain impartial. Uh, so I applaud you for that because there would be certain times where, uh, you would definitely want to cheer and want to say some things uh, or call out other players. Um, I imagine yesterday was a little bit difficult with uh, with uh, Zaha at certain points, but you know that it is what it is. Oh, absolutely! Yesterday, I think Crystal Palace are probably the most rattled I've seen a team come to St. Mary's. They, in the fir- especially in the first half, they were uh, very much surrounding the referee. I mean, they're not the only team that surrounds the referee, and Southampton have been guilty of doing that at some points. But they were very much. Uh, very much straight towards the uh, the referee if a decision didn't go their way. And, of course, Zaha, with the reputation that he has of being quite petulant, I mean, he was sent off in the same fixture last season when Ward Prowse got him really wound up and Ward Prowse did the same yesterday. And I think uh, Zaha was really on the ropes uh, at one point. And um, he, didn't, he didn't even get into the game, I think. Obviously, he set up the, the goal that was disallowed for, by VAR. But aside from that, he I think Cedric, did really well to keep him in his pocket for most of the game. Yeah, I, I wanted to say that early on he was he was Cedric was having a bit of a rough time. I think that that instance where he where Zaha did set up the offside goal, um, he turned Cedric around several times. But I was I was looking at uh, I think it was at um, who scored and and Cedric was actually given man of the match uh, for the Chelsea game, which we'll come on to uh, in just a moment. But yeah, um, Cedric's come under a lot of criticism, and I think a lot of it has been fair. Um, but if you if you have a good game, or you have a decent run of a couple of games, then you deserve to be to be credited. And, and footballers can turn it around and go through bad runs of form. And it doesn't mean that if you are bad for a couple of matches that you are terrible and should should stop playing. It just means that you know you didn't have a great match and and you come back and try to do it again. You know, um, so I think that we have to as fans have to do that. But um, yeah, I thought I thought he was okay yesterday. I wouldn't say he was great, but he was okay. Yeah, I think he's he's definitely had a mixed bag of performances over the past month or so. Against Chelsea, he was quite rightly uh, very, very solid. He did very well against Chelsea. I think it was his best performance of the season. I mean, it was uh, I think it was the, it was the best team performance of the season. So a lot of people really were eligible to get the uh, get the man of the man of the match award. I think Ward Prowse ran something like twelve kilometers in that game he's run the most in the Premier League this season and he was fantastic especially the moment that he uh, managed to muscle Kante off the ball which is no no easy thing to do that Kante is built like a built like a house and it's very difficult to knock him off the ball but going back to Cedric yeah he, he's had some good some good performances recently but there have been times where 
he's made some really odd decisions. I think I think it was either Watford or Norwich game where we were they they were coming at us to try and get an equaliser, and he he had a chance to keep the ball and just run down the clock a little bit, and he just kicked it straight back into straight back to back to their defence so that they could attack again. And it was a case of like, well, what are you actually trying to do there? Are you trying to give the game away? Yeah. But uh, against Chelsea, he was absolutely fantastic. Um, yesterday, obviously, he had a difficult time with Zaha, but I thought whilst he wasn't absolutely brilliant, he did very well to sort of nullify the threat of Zaha, especially in the second half. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess let's let's jump into the the Chelsea game just a little bit. Um, obviously, we we went away and it's Boxing Day, so it's a big kind of football day. And and in the UK, this was I think Amazon's second run out, so second time they've had all the matches. And in the United States, we're totally used to all of the matches being available, and it's one of the things that um, yeah, I was listening to the guys on on Football Weekly talk about it a little bit. And and in my experience or my the way I watch football is totally different probably than than a lot of people in the UK. Where if you don't go to the matches, unless you're on on uh you know one of the big networks, unless you've been selected for tele, for for TV coverage, then you don't have it. You, you have to be there or you have to listen on the radio. And so for me, having this choice of being able to watch all of of the games. Uh, it, it's quite, uh, it, it's not new anymore. It's not that exciting. It's just kind of how it is. But um, for you, I mean, what, what was the, uh, I, I guess, what was the, how, how are people reacting to that in the UK? Are people uh, fairly happy about it? Do people not like it because it's one more subscription they have to buy? Or, or are, what's, the, what's the thought around Amazon coming into this? Well, obviously there's a lot of tweets going on about how, like, if you were to, how much it would cost you a month to subscribe to Sky, BT, and Amazon. Um. I am lucky enough to already have uh, have uh, Amazon. I mean, I don't have Sky or BT, so whenever Saints are on, if I, I'm not able to watch it or have to go out to, to, to go and watch it at a, at a pub or something like that. But with uh, with Amazon, I thought the service was actually really, really good. Because um, with, with Sky and BT, you've got a mixture of games. I think it's about each one has maybe two or three over the course of the weekend. Sky obviously have a bit more. But with Amazon, to have all matches on the day on, that's really, really good. And I thought it's a really good selection. Obviously, because uh, Sky and BT obviously have such a monopoly over the amount of live fixtures. So Amazon don't have, they only have that two set set of fixtures. I thought the server, because I, I, I watched it for um, Saints against Norwich and I thought it was really, really good. Obviously, it wasn't the Saints versus Norwich wasn't the pick of the games because Liverpool and Everton was on at the same time. So I, I can't really compare it too much to Sky or BC because obviously not having a subscription, I don't watch it right. regularly to, to form that kind of opinion. But I, I was impressed. Um, I think the cost of the subscription for Amazon Prime is actually not too, not too bad. But obviously, if um, they're going to, we'll see how, see how that price goes up if they get any more sets of fixtures for next season yeah i'm sure it will increase or they'll you know I'm, I'm hoping they just don't separate it from actual amazon prime you know they make it some amazon video only service which um would not be great because we have amazon prime as well um mostly because we order everything from there uh from toilet paper and paper towels to um christmas presents which all arrived on time uh except for one and the, it was broken when it got here but that's okay we've 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 sorted that out with uh you know the the carrier and everything else so um, 
Yeah, I, I think it's 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 always interesting, and and people want to get into to football uh, in terms of broadcasting because it is uh, lucrative, but the the contracts they pay out are, are also huge, and uh, you, you wonder well how this goes on in the future. But um, I mean, having that on Boxing Day, I know Boxing Day is something that we don't really celebrate here in the United States. It's not it's not a thing that we have, but I know it's a big deal in in the UK. So the fact that everybody's around and in watching football and the fact that it was just on all day meant uh, either you could really enjoy it with your family or completely ignore them. And the choice was, was kind of up to you. So, um, but I mean, going into, into the match, I, I, I think we said earlier, we wouldn't necessarily have uh, predicted or, or thought that we would have got something from the game uh, or definitely not come out with a win, but if we could have gotten a point away, that would have been fine. Chelsea have been kind of in and out of form, uh, hadn't played well, I don't think they had lost consecutive home matches since 2011, um, which uh, I guess Frank Lampard was not happy to hear in his post-match press conference. Um, so they come in and and we, I mean, like you said, we think we put in the best team performance of the season without a doubt. Oh, completely. It was absolutely breathtaking. We completely nullified their, their attacking threat. And I think, I can't remember who said it exactly, but... Uh, there was a comment after the game, which was uh, Chelsea could have played until New Year's Day and they still wouldn't have scored because we were defending that well. And I went into the game, you know, I think most Saints fans went into the game thinking, oh, if we can just have a decent performance, maybe get them on the ropes for a little bit and, you know, maybe try and nick a point if we, if we can, but try to stay in the game for as long as possible. To go to Stamford Bridge and to not just, like, be in the game, but to, to really to outplay Chelsea, I mean, there was... From minute one, there was no real threat of Chelsea actually scoring. And the team that looked more likely to score was always us. Even with Danny Ings on the bench, Che Adams and Michael Obafemi were fantastic up top. Che Adams did especially well, uh, considering he hasn't started since the, uh, the, derby, the derby game in September. And he, he was absolutely brilliant. And he held the ball up well. And just Saints all over the pitch were... We're, fa- we're fantastic, and I said, as I said earlier, I think what epitomised the entire performance was Ward Prowse losing the ball to Kante, and then instead of giving up, he just ran straight after him and won the ball back, mm-hmm. which, as I said, is not the easiest to get Kante off the ball, is is one of the most difficult things to do in the in the Premier League. So it was it was a very, very good late Christmas present. Yeah, and I guess that's, a, that's something we should discuss is the lineup was mostly the same as what we've seen except for the two guys up top were, were changed out and Long uh, was out. Um, Ings was on the bench and a lot was made of, of the decision to leave Danny Ings on the bench, but for me, it's you look at his past injury record and, and I think I talked about it with Freddie from the Ugly Inside a little bit. Um, it, w- it wasn't a surprise. You have to pick your, your chances for him and, and, and keep him fresh over this period because there are so many games. I mean, we had to turn around and play a game in, in 48 hours. And I think, um, I think Ralph was, was mentioning the second day uh, after a match. You know, I think they come in the day after the match, they do some recovery stuff. And then usually the next day, they don't play at all. They don't do anything. They're completely off. And in this instance, we were going to turn around and play a game on that day. So it's completely different from a normal kind of recovery period. And, and I think if you look at the, the, the way they now track people's bodies and kind of the exertion and, and how they're recovering, it, it becomes very, very, uh, uh, worrisome sometimes that that some of the guys get into the zone where they 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 are, I guess, much more likely to suffer some sort of injury, and you don't want that. So to change the two guys out up top, it, I was a little bit worried when I saw it, just because you think, oh, are are we going to be able to score? Are we going to be able to create chances? And they did, and I thought 
there was a point in the game where Adams really struggled. Uh, I think as Chelsea kind of were pressing more and more, he kept trying to, he would come deep, he would hold the ball up, and he would go to lay it off, and his layoffs were just not finding the feet of people, and we needed something. Um, almost, we do almost just needed to whack it long and hold it further up the field, even if we gave away a throw-in or something that that deep, just kick the ball away, take the yellow card, and just just give us a second to kind of readjust. But um, overall, I thought everybody did well. But were you worried at all with things on the bench and us kind of lacking a true goal scorer up top? Uh when the lineup came out, I was a bit thinking, well, where are our, where are our goals going to come from? Um, but I think it was the right right decision. And obviously, I can say that easily now after a 2-0 win. But I think even after, it, even if the result hadn't gone our way, I think Danny Ings is our main goal threat. I mean, he's scored 50% of the goals we've scored this season. So, especially in a time... He, let, let's be completely honest here. He's, that, he's doing absolutely fantastic. And we would be completely doomed without him but he he does have that injury record and as good as condition he is in at the moment when there are games so close together he he can't play all of them and because obviously the strain is just going to build up in the in the muscles with no no period to relax after the match and all it I mean an injury to Danny Ings would be catastrophic that's how that's how crucial he is but yeah you know in hindsight it, it was a it, it worked, and I didn't. Exp- Michael Oberfemi, like he came in and he did really well and took his goal fantastically well. Uh, it was an absolutely brilliant finish. But if we're going to talk. I mean, it, it was a great goal, and but if we're going to talk about one goal against a goal against Chelsea, it has to be the second one for me. That is arguably our goal of the season. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know how you feel, but sometimes these goals of the season, you know, it's it's a long run. Maybe like Buffal had, where he makes the the defenders run into each other or it's something where somebody hits this, this massive strike. You think of, of Cuco Martina with that ball kind of curling the way it did. Um, you think of some of the ones that, that Hoiberg or Lamina hit from outside the area that always get in there or a free kick. But I think a good team goal is, is absolutely just something uh, of beauty. And um, somebody tried to say online, you know, um, you know, 12 panicky backwards and sideways passes and then three passes forward doesn't make a good move. And it's like, are you watching the same thing that we're all watching? Like this is, this is us absolutely controlling the game, making Chelsea run. Like our guys were making slight movements and finding a ton of space. Um, and then enforcing Chelsea to run all over the pitch, which is exactly what you want. You know, they were not able to press as a team in that instance, it was individuals kind of being exposed there. And every time you move, um, you, you had our guys in space and, and I think, um, I mean, it was just great. It was, it, Armstrong and Ings were both involved in, in the kind of the final build up to it. Uh, and I thought it was a, an absolutely fantastic goal. And, and I would, if I had to vote for it right now, it would 100% be my goal of the season, probably be the goal of 2019 as a, as a calendar year, if we we're going to do that as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you talk about panicky passes. I think the only team that was panicking in that move was Chelsea when they realised that Nathan Redmond was about six yards out with no one around him and the ball was in the back of the net and they're 2-0 down at home on Boxing Day against a team that they beat 4-1 away only a couple of months ago. Um, I, I mean, you can argue that maybe some of the passes were a bit risky, but you're not going to get anywhere uh, in, in football if you don't make that risky pass. And it was very good control possession in the end of it. Jack Stevens brought it forward and then uh, it took... Uh, I had to watch the replay a couple of times before I realized that it was Danny Ings on the far side that um, had done the audacious back heel pass to Stuart Armstrong, who I have to, uh, I've seen a lot of um, 
good things said on Twitter uh, for Stuart Armstrong. I just want to put in my uh, my thoughts as well. He's been fantastic since he's come into the side. He's uh, and he was brilliant when he came on against Palace yesterday because we needed someone to bring the ball forward uh, from midfield, and he did exactly that. But there, uh, going back to, going back to Chelsea, like Stuart Armstrong was absolutely fantastic. And one thing that I really really liked about the second goal, aside from it being just absolutely fantastic team goal, and there are a couple of tweets saying like, when did Barcelona turn up into <laughs> turn up turn, turn up in the Premier League? But Again, going back to how crucial Danny Ings is and how much he loves being here. If you watch the replay of the second of the second goal, Danny Ings is on the opposite side of the pitch to the to where Redmond runs in celebration. And the first person to get to Redmond to give him a hug is Ings. And if you watch one of the camera angles, Ings has literally just legged it across the pitch because he's so happy for it. And considering he's so far away when the goal is actually scored, to get there to celebrate with Redmond in the far corner shows just how much he loves playing here at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it also shows kind of that's some leadership that we, we maybe haven't had in a while. And as a, as a fellow attacker and Danny Ings would understand the frustration that, that Redmond has had this season of not really finding goals and not being able to convert those chances. And, and so for him to get across and, and congratulate him, I think is there's something there that says, you know, like you said, Ings really enjoys this and Ings understands kind of, you know, uh, I think what Redmond is going through at the moment and, and the fact that I don't one I just going to the goal. I don't know how Redmond was so open there. Um, that's that's a complete misstep on Chelsea's part. But for us to find uh, him and for it was a good finish from from uh, Redmond. It wasn't an easy thing to do to get it over the keeper that way and make sure you keep it down. And, um, you know, with all of the things that have happened for Redmond this season, for all of the chances he's missed, you you, you don't want him to just tighten up at that moment and wind up, you know, kicking it into the keeper or yeah, just lifting it over the bar or anything like that. And um, some of the, some of the pictures that uh, the Saints media team was able to capture from that moment were, were pretty great. Cause you have this kind of um, it's almost like every shot was just a, a you know, a, a, every frame of, of the goal you can, you can actually actually click through and watch Redmond kind of score the goal and roll and get up and celebrate it. It's, it's just a fantastic thing to, uh, to see because I think it makes us all feel uh, good for him and also good for the team. And, and at that point, um, there uh, there was no way back for Chelsea. I think Chelsea was done at that point. Oh, I, I, I completely completely agree. When when we made because although we were comfortable at one nil, you know, it almost had a feeling of the Man City game where you think, well, Chelsea is just going to come forward and eventually they are going to score one. But to make it two nil, I was completely relaxed after it. I just thought, okay, wow, we've actually, we've actually beaten Chelsea at, St- at Stamford Bridge. Like this is the best result of of the season so far. And I thought that we play well because the only bad away performance we've had so far this season was on the first day against Burnley. And since then, we've I think every single away performance we've been in the game and haven't looked like we're going to get blown away at all. Obviously, that might change when we go to Liverpool, but you know we we can now go to these away games with lots of belief really but you know just just go just going back it, it, the the going through the the celebration of Nathan Redmond it, it showed how much it meant to him it meant to the team and it's such a far cry from what happened how we were all feeling maybe a couple of months ago when we thought you know have the have the uh, it, it's just not going well going well for us you know the confidence isn't there but now you can see that the team are really enjoying playing together and they seem to have like found their mojo again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I, I guess for me, if, if I'm trying to take away or find the big takeaway from it, I think uh, that clean sheet that had been so elusive for so long, um, I think we finally got it. We hadn't had one since Sheffield United, um, something like 13 or 14 matches in between there. 
And to, I think Redmond getting a goal is huge. I think us getting a team goal like that uh, is huge because it shows that it, we don't just have to rely on one person because we have been kind of overly reliant on Danny Ings. Um, and you worry, you know, if something happens, can we do it? But um, having Redmond get a goal, I think is important, but the, the clean sheet has to do so much for, for the team and, and the clean sheet against a team like Chelsea who have so many attacking options and granted they didn't set up in, in the most attacking of formations. You know, they didn't, they didn't put everybody out there uh, and run at us maybe um, the way they could have, because I think they were looking ahead as well. Um, they obviously are playing Arsenal as we speak. So that's a, that's a big deal for them. But um, this is uh you know, I, I don't think you can take anything away from the team. And I think the clean sheet uh, hopefully uh, will be, uh, you know, just, it, uh, it'll it'll give us more confidence going forward for the team and because we've struggled to 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 keep that clean sheet for so long. Oh yeah, completely completely agree. That clean sheet is absolutely massive, and to get it against a team like Chelsea will only do wonders for like the team's confidence. And I think that, that I know I know it's the first clean sheet we've had in fourteen games, but especially for the past few games, like the the back four have been so much better than in pre like previously in the season. Jack Stevens has done brilliantly well to force his way back into the team and not just be a case of, oh, we're going to try a different defender and hope that that solves the problem. He's actually made his, the position his own now and he's been, um, been colossus in defence. I think I saw something on Twitter saying he's turned into prime Vidic, but I don't think we'll go that far. <laughs> I don't think we'll go that far, but he's been fantastic alongside, alongside Bednarik. And it, it actually, it was, it was both against Chelsea and against Palace, I, can't, I couldn't actually remember a header, an aerial battle that those two didn't win. They just won everything in the air. Um, albeit Crystal Palace don't have the largest strikers. I mean, Ayu and Zaha are not the tallest of players. But still, to win everything in the air and against Chelsea to, to win it as, uh, as well was absolutely fan, absolutely fantastic. And let's also, also for, for the Villa game, let, let's just be, be clear. Like we, I think... We would have got that clean sheet. I mean, it was an absolute wonder goal that Grealish scored, and there's not much you can do about it when someone volleys it from that distance into the top corner. Uh-huh. I believe if that, if I believe that if that if that shot, as it probably would do nine times out of ten, goes over the bar, Saints actually win the game about four or five nil. That's the way the game was going. But because they did score, um, we obviously had to sit back and just make sure that we weren't going to throw away a three nil lead. So I think. The defence can't really do much about a, a goal like that. Um, I bet they should have done better for the, the Palace goal yesterday. I mean, from a free kick that early on in the second half, you've got to be switched on. And Tompkins practically had a free header into the into the top corner, which he did. He took very, very well. But it was it was a disappointing way to concede. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, just just one more quick note on the Chelsea game, and we'll we'll move on to to Crystal Palace uh, in full. Where Prowse had three times as many tackles as Conte did in that game. Nine tackles from James Ward Prowse. Um, all kinds of running and uh, a super impressive display from from him. And I was really surprised uh, moving into the Crystal Palace match that that Ward Prowse and Hoiberg both remained in the game as starters with just forty eight hours to kind of uh, get ready and prepare because uh, of the running and of the effort they've been putting out. But uh, once again, uh, going into yesterday, they were were or they were great once again. Like there was no, I can't really complain about about how they went out and performed. Um, 
I would say maybe the energy wasn't all the way there. Um, and, and, uh, but I think that's normal because you, you can't just, you, you just can't have that, uh, kind of, kind of all of the time. But, um, looking at the team sheet for yesterday, uh, the only real changes are, are Che Adams stays in, uh, Ings comes back in the team, Buffal starts, um, and, and Armstrong goes to the bench, but, um, were you at all worried about that, or did you think that the guys could go out and do it again, or were you surprised to not see more rotation from Ralph? I, I thought that was enough. There was enough rotation in there um, in the starting lineup. Anyway, I thought obviously both teams. I, I think both both it was all right because both teams would have been uh, had to play two games in forty eight hours, and Crystal Palace are down to the bare bones at the moment due to their injury. Uh, crisis. I was actually doing when I was doing uh, some research. One of their players on their bench didn't even have his like um, profile picture on the Crystal Palace website because they're because they're they're down to that thinner squad. So I thought they 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 were going to have the same energy levels considering that they practically got to play the same eleven than they did against West Ham. And to be fair, Palace did very well with that with their fitness. But I wasn't too worried about Saints. I thought it was. I thought it was good because at home the fans are going to expect us to be more attacking and to put four out and out attackers on the pitch from the very start were, was something that would have won the fans round immediately and yeah it didn't work out how we wanted it to do but I think Ralph set up in the in a really good way against Parsons it was a both a very we're both very counter-attacking teams and I think in the first half especially we sort of just cancelled each other out yeah um, Palace did not put together an impressive display uh, yesterday, I would say, offensively. Uh, they managed just a .14 XG, which is not great. I mean, the shots they took were were low percentage shots, so we did well to do that. Uh, you mentioned the, the Tompkins header that he did manage to score. I would say that the only thing we could, we, we could be thinking there is maybe Milivojevic is going to go for goal, um, even though I think from that side, uh, as a right-footed player, the ball is going to be you know, curving the wrong way essentially. So it's not, it's not great, but he put in a great ball and he has the ability to do that. Um, they, Crystal Palace hadn't scored from outside the box at all uh, this season. So uh, for him to clip it in there and for Tompkins, I don't know how he got so open. Um, I want to say it was Stevens maybe that didn't have him or, or whoever uh, just didn't get to the ball and, and he puts it in the corner. And at that point, you're just thinking like, are we going to be able to, to, to do it? And, and to be fair, the team kept the game plan. They didn't panic. Uh, they just kept playing the way they were playing because we had so much pressure um, in the first half that you just wanted us to uh, to take advantage of it, to, to to find a goal somehow. And that would have, I think, broken Crystal Palace. And then I think that the game just would have been over had we been able to get a goal in the first half. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think um, we were certainly better than Palace going forward in the first half. I know Palace got their goal uh, ruled out for... Uh, for offside, incredibly tight, tight call. But I thought, especially the first half was very much a case of we got forward well, but we couldn't just quite get the shot off. Whereas Palace were quite fortunate in how they managed to get that offside goal in terms of, I mean, it was good, very good work from Zaha, but obviously it's been created because he's got an advantage by being in an offside position for it. Um, but yeah, like that. The first half, it was very. The first half was very uh, good to commentate on because it was so tense. It was so enthralling in terms of how both teams were cancelling each other out. They're trying to get forward, and then they couldn't break through, and then another team would counterattack, and they couldn't get through that time. 
it was very much as it got to half time, you felt like there was a goal coming, but you didn't know exactly which way it was going to be. Yeah. Um, you mentioned there that, that palace tend. Yeah. You mentioned there that palace tended to attack, uh, down, down their left side, which, which means that they're attacking Cedric. Um, and you know, that is always going to be a little bit of where you mentioned, uh, you, you thought he, he played fairly well. Uh, he, he came off of a great game for Chelsea. Um, and he's coming up against a, a difficult uh, player to play against. Um, Zaha has the ability to, to be, uh, really, really great, um, on his day, but can be riled up. And I think did get riled up a little bit, uh, from time to time. Uh, and I, I, you, you could have seen him or maybe Milivojevic or perhaps even Tompkins getting sent off at certain points because they were so, or McCarthy as well. Um, they were just so animated and so frustrated with how things were going because, um, it seemed like every time they they tried to get something to go and they couldn't, and we had uh, the majority of possession. Uh, we were kind of dictating play, and they were playing on the counter. And then their their counter was basically, uh, you know, get it to Ayu and get it out to Zaha, and, and we'll hopefully we can score. And um, Zaha is their most creative player. Uh, he, I don't know, he he had a, a decent game, I guess. Um, even though I would say that Cedric played played fairly well for the most part to, to keep him quiet. Um, especially because Buffal doesn't offer necessarily all of the, uh, all of the defensive cover, uh, that you would have hoped at, at times, but Buffal did a lot of other things that were really great yesterday. So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't fault him for his play at all. Not at all. I think, um, going back to what you said first about them getting riled up. So the, I, Callum and I said at half time that we thought it was only a matter of time before one of them got sent off, especially Milivojevic. Like he was, he was very lucky to actually stay on the pitch because he did back talk to back chat to the referee quite a few times, uh-huh. especially after getting booked. And it was it, it did make for a really funny atmosphere because you got the Crystal Palace fans were booing for Prowse because he was trying to rile Zaha up, and then the Saints fans booing Zaha and the rest of the Crystal Palace players because, especially Zaha, just because they were getting so so petulant and so just uh, lashing out and just surrounding the referee at all times. It was. It was quite funny to, to watch a team get so frustrated. Um, but yeah, Cedric, I thought, did, did well considering that, like you said, Buffal doesn't quite get back all the time. So he's uh, up against Zaha. But I think the lack of Van Arnholt for Crystal Palace sort of nullified the threat of Zaha because those two work so well down the left side. And Riedewald, who came in for Van Arnholt, it doesn't have really the Premier League experience or the uh, sort of the chemistry between himself and Zaha for uh, for them to be that much of a threat down the left. Zaha has to do it all by himself and Riedewald doesn't have the sort of like the tactical nous to try and uh, do the underlapping or the overlapping runs in behind. So in that way, in, in that sense, Saints were very fortunate that Van Arnholt wasn't playing. But um, yeah, Saints did very well, I think, to nullify the threat of Zaha. There was only one time in the second half where I think he actually got he he went on a run and in the end he couldn't even get a shot off. So, you know, if you're stopping Zaha for having, from having a, a real shot all game, then you've obviously done pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say that going into halftime, uh, some of the things that I was, I was very happy with was the composure that we kept. We never kind of lost our temper. We never lost our way. It was a very kind of professional uh, approach. And I thought the same against Chelsea. We, we There was a very professional approach to it. It was business. Um, and we didn't allow ourselves to be sucked into to anything there. Um, so I, I thought we controlled the game fairly well. 
the composure we had. And then our attack was fairly balanced. We were attacking kind of down the right, down the center, and down the left. Kind of uh, they were the splits were about even. Whereas Palace, like we said, we're we're going mostly down our right. So to Zaha at Cedric. Um, and the only kind of issues I had there was that could potentially be exploited. Uh, we hadn't really created any chances, and we did look vulnerable kind of on the counterattack, even though Palace were, uh, you know, only had a, uh, you know, a just really Zaha and, and Ayu up there to, to, to counter with. Um, but, you know, they, they, we do always look, look vulnerable to that because players are, players are good. Attacking players are good for other teams and they're going to come up and, and try to do that. But um, going into halftime, you know, we, with 60, 40 possession, we, we were dominating that uh, really only two shots for either team, none, none on target. So not a great, uh, display there, but um, you you would have looked at it and said the teams are fairly even. But I felt comfortable with how things were going. I think, um, and 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 thought we maybe would have been able to do things, even though, like we said, we would have hoped that uh, we could have taken advantage of uh, that that spell in there where between thirty and forty five minutes, where where Palace seemed to lose their heads a little bit, we just couldn't quite couldn't quite do it. So, um, I don't know. Uh, into the second half, the I guess their goal, uh, like we we talked about already, was kind of poor. Uh, we would have we would have hoped that we could have done better from that. But um, I guess was there anything else in the first half that you would have want or into the second half that changes that needed to be made uh, or anything? Or do you think the the decision to kind of keep it as it is uh, was good? And then and then I guess that we'll talk about the changes as as they come when Geneva comes on and things like that um, and what that change looked like. But uh, up until then, at halftime, anything that you thought needed to be changed or just continue and then make the change in the second half sometime. I thought that we should try and get over the top uh, a bit more in the second. Uh, that's, that's the way we need to start it off in the second half. Because towards the f- end of the first half, we tried to play it over the top a couple of times, and both times ended up in us getting a corner. Um, War Prowse's corner deliveries yesterday could have been a bit better. I mean, we had so many set pieces, and he couldn't quite get that. He, he either got it wet far too far over, or he couldn't beat the first man. And that was quite disappointing, considering we had so many of them. But I thought, like. No, no personnel changes needed to be made at halftime. Thought it would be a case of whichever team would start to tie us, uh, tie quicker, and we could maybe, if we just continued trying to grind them down, then we'd start start getting past them. So, and no changes necessarily at halftime. I thought needed to be made. I think we just needed to carry on as we were, and then look to see how we could possibly change it further on. Yeah, and and I thought. I thought we played pretty well in the second half, and I thought that the the idea that we were okay with the the guys that were out there, I thought was was totally fine. And then we did see some changes, and I thought that the the change that had the biggest impact was probably Janepo. And and I had written down what I wanted to see in, in terms of that. I I thought Adams needed to come off, not because not for any reason other than he was struggling to find himself. And we've seen him and Ings play together before, and there hasn't always been the chemistry there, maybe they're too similar. Maybe uh, Adams just isn't used to playing. I don't want to say second fiddle, but being, you know, playing second fiddle to a guy like Ings and he can learn a lot from him, but it just, it wasn't quite working. I thought Adams and Obafemi worked better together and Ings and Long have worked better together than what we saw yesterday, but I wanted Adams off and I wanted Redmond to go up top uh, next to Ings and then have Buffal and Janapo uh, out wide. And that is what happened, but only for a few minutes. And then Armstrong came on for, for Buffal, but I don't know. I thought that 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 change uh, to bring Geneva on was was probably the best thing we could have done. And his creativity and his uh, just kind of 
it's almost like he, whether it's naivety or whatever it is, like he just comes on and, and is not afraid to run at people. And there's all kinds of stuff. And I really wish that he would have been able to find the corner with that shot that wound up being a little bit uh, down the middle after he, um, you know, beat players and then cut inside. But um, I mean, for you, was that, was that, uh, was the impact he had kind of evident from the very beginning and, and was it, was it uh, noticeable by the, by the home fans as well? Oh, absolutely. Like the first time he got the ball, he just started put his head down and started running towards the Palace defence, which is, I think we maybe lacked in the first half of someone to collect the ball and actively run. And to be to give credit to Palace, they stopped us from doing that. Redmond and Buffal on either side had opportunity to go forward, but were quickly closed down. Essentially, Palace did to us what we did to Chelsea in terms of just stopping, pressing very quickly and stopping, um, like getting space down, down the wing. But I don't, I couldn't understand what Palace were doing. Um, with Gineppo because Martin Kelly, their right back, started playing quite centrally and gave Gineppo like the entirety of the left wing to run into almost every time he got the ball. And obviously Gineppo, he's young, he wants to impress and he's doing very well at, at the moment. So if you're going to give him that much space, he's going he's gonna to run into it and do his best to get something into the box. So I thought it was absolutely fantastic because he really troubled the Palace defence and it, by the end of the game every time he got the ball I think there was at least three Palace defenders trying to get near him just to make sure that he couldn't get if he got past one of them then it, the other two could maybe like bring him down I think there was one point I don't I'm, I'm not sure if it was before or after we equalised where Gineppo actually had a lot of time to run towards the edge of the box and was about to get a shot away I think it was McCarthy or MacArthur that was Oh, yeah, those two, having those two in midfield for commentary purposes yesterday was absolutely fantastic. You know, having a MacArthur and a McCarthy, that was that was brilliant. But to um, yeah, I think I think he just complete no no intent to get the ball. He just completely scythed him down on the edge of the box um, because he knew that. I, I mean, that that just epitomised how much Gineppa would change the game. Palace was scared of him. Yeah, yeah, that that there were there were a couple of professional fouls from from uh, from Palace yesterday that that were frustrating as a team that was having to take them, especially because um, if you look at the one in Geneva, that, that was, that was deep into their area. You know, you're it wasn't around the halfway line. It wasn't as soon as he picked up the ball, it was, he was by people and, and we're just going to take him out. And um, the one thing I would say about Geneva is he tends to, to roll forever. And I'm just worried he's going to get hurt at one of these uh, somersaults that he's doing as he gets fouled. But um, that, that foul, um, the commentator here was very much, we would have, Want, he want, he would have wanted to see that some sort of a sin bin type foul, like something between a, a red and a yellow. Um, and I don't know. I think I think we get away with that stuff. Um, but I think if you look at the places that we tend to foul people, it tends to be in the opposition half. It tends to be, um, you know, as the team picks up the ball around the halfway line, um, you try to avoid, you try to foul early rather than allow them to to kind of break into your area to do that. But um, that foul from from uh, MacArthur or McCarthy. Um, you know, not, not something I, I wanted to see, but it is, it does happen because um, Genevo is just so uh, lively and, and it's very clear that there are, there are, there's something going to happen when he gets the ball. And I think that's what we needed. There needed to be that kind of injection of, of life into the game um, at that moment, because we, uh, we weren't playing poorly, but we were kind of lacking that cutting edge. And I think he provided it yesterday. Uh, and unfortunately, it just couldn't get. Uh, we could. We couldn't quite do enough to take home all three points. But um, our goal uh, comes from you know not from a, a moment of individual brilliance, not from a a full team uh, you know a fifteen pass sequence, but it does come from uh, a very very good 
um, moment of the team working together as well to press uh, and forcing Crystal Palace into a mistake. Yeah, it was uh, a very, very uh, late Christmas present for Danny Ings, I think. Uh, but, but it came from Gineppo starting the press and Kelly. I mean, Palace will be incredibly disappointed because I thought at that before before that back pass, I think Saints were still struggling to get any decent chance of getting back into the game. And I was uh, from from my position as um, the, the fan side of me was thinking that, you know, this is going to be another one nil win for an away team unless something drastically changes or it's good. Palace are defending so resolutely. It's going to be a case of either an absolute wonder goal from 30 yards or a mistake. And we forced them into a mistake. And to be honest, Palace will be kicking themselves because if there's one player you don't want to give the ball to about 16 yards from goal in a one-on-one situation with the goalkeeper in no man's land. It's uh, it's Danny Ings at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is the absolute worst thing for the opposition is to hand him that. And Ings took it first time. There was no, I mean, that was basically finishing practice at, at training, right? Like this is, you know, you do, you, you take a touch, you pass it off. Uh, Ings is able to come in and just, and just side foot it into the net. And, and there was never any doubt when he was on it that he was going to score. Um, and I guess, it's once again, Danny Ings being in the right place at the right time. Um, the team working to kind of um, create that chance, even though we didn't actually touch the ball until he scored. Um, but I mean, once again, just just a, a good display from the team, I think, and then a good display from Ings. And then uh, unfortunately, we just couldn't go and, and, and finish the game off, I guess, because we would have we would have wanted to be able to take all three points, uh, of course, which is what you try to do every game. But um I don't know. We just, just couldn't quite do it. Um, I, I guess we we did miss something uh, in the first half where uh, the other chance, I, I think the clearest chance we had, even though it wasn't great, was was Bednarak um, at the back post from from a set piece. And um, he gets free and just can't quite keep his shot down. But I think other than that, that would have been the other uh, kind of the best chance we had to, to score all game. Yeah, he put it he put it over the bar. And uh, I, I was trying to I was commentating on that chance at that time. And I was I was saying, well, the ball's bounced up. It's got a difficult one. For him, maybe he didn't expect it, whereas Callum just turned around and said, um, I've got to call it how it is, and he's missed an absolute sitter there. Um, <laughs> but going back to the goal, there were a couple of uh, two uh, bits of body language which won't have been picked up by the uh, cameras, which um, both Callum and I saw when the, goal went, when the goal went in. But actually, when the, Pal- when the Palace player passed it back and Ings was, hasn't even reached the ball yet, um, on the opposite side of the pitch, Hasenhutl had already run onto the pitch, like pumping his fist, because... That's how much confidence Saints have in Danny Ings at the moment. He was at Hasenhut was actually on the pitch um, before Danny Ings had, had like celebrating before Ings had even hit the hit the ball. That's how much he was confident that um, Ings was going to put it away. And another bit of body language was Bednarik, who actually was fist pumping on his knees as the ball went to Ings. So that shows how much belief the team have for um, how much like belief they have in Ings at the moment that they know before he's even got to the ball that he's going to put it away um I mean I wouldn't even say nine times out of ten he's going to put that chance away at the moment I'd say it's ten times out of ten he's going to score that every single time yeah yeah and and I think that just shows that the team understands and of course Hasenhutl does and then uh, it means something that for Bednarak as well that the team understands kind of the what they're trying to do and when you work as hard as they obviously have, and the this, this, this starting 11 has kind of been chosen um, repeatedly, and, and they've been drilled on this. And so when you see all that work of the pressing and everything pay off in that 
it the other team makes a mistake that that large and lays it on a plate for your your striker i think that's a 100% reason to celebrate and um it, you know maybe you would have felt a little silly had, had or they would have felt a little silly had had the ball not gone in the back of the net but the fact that they they know um that ball gets played and that there's the mistake and now we capitalize on it and that means something for saints because we haven't always capitalized on mistakes like that um but we have somebody up top now that is confident that can put the ball away that doesn't kind of tense up in that moment and and it, it meant a lot because um just keeping the momentum going of picking up points in this period um it, is 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 something we absolutely have to do because it we're not we're actually not getting that much farther away from from the the bottom of the table which is you know something we would have hoped that we would have been able to do by now but um th- just the fact that we're we're keeping this momentum going i think is extremely important yeah and we're now i mean we're now four points uh, above the relegation zone obviously the result against Leicester earlier in the season, we won't go over what score it was because everyone knows it by now, but that has dented our goal difference to a point where, you know, it, it's almost like an extra point for other teams around us because they know if they get level on points with us, then they're going to go above above us. So it's going to take quite a, a while and a few positive results to try and just get that goal difference down. But I think I know the finish from Ings just, I think, shows the confidence throwing through flowing through the team at the moment because, as you said, we've had players in the past who tense up, would probably hit it wide, maybe straight at the keeper or not even read that, the, read the pass back and not and miss um, getting in that position what, at all. But what I noticed with, with Ings, and it just, it just shows how much confidence is going through his, his mind and his body at the moment, is that he takes it first time, he takes the shot so casually as if to say, like, he knows before he's even got to the ball that is going in. And that's really what we've been crying out for for the past few years. Some stri- a striker who knows that they've scored before they've even got to the ball. Yeah, and we, we've been missing that for so long. And to have him in that form, I think, is, is, is important. And, and obviously, um, you know, he scored so many goals for us and, and all of the goals that he scored have been important because we haven't scored uh, all that many. Um, and especially, like you said, the, the goal difference that we, that we have uh, is, is we need to keep, continue to kind of cut down on that. And, and that's going to take all season to kind of work off. And hopefully we get back into a, a place where it isn't a, a, as detrimental to our, our hopes. But, um, you know, other than I think the, the, the guys in the bottom two, so Watford and Norwich, we have the absolute worst goal difference. Um, and you look at Brighton, who's just ahead of us. Um, there, there's his negative four. Ours is negative 14 as it stands, as we speak now. So, uh, not, not great. Um, as we, as we go forward, but, uh, you know, we'll have to, uh, adjust to that. But, um, I think if we were going to be critical of the team at all, uh, it would just be that, that one, it was a little bit too little too late. And then we didn't quite have the, the cutting edge that we needed, um, you know, to, to really take the game to palace. We couldn't find that. And it is difficult because we come, uh, off of a game where we, you know, get to counterattack and Chelsea tried to play football. Like they, they, when they play football, when they um, try to pass it through the middle, it allows us to press and palace didn't really do that. Palace sat back and were very compact and we're, we're good defensively, even though we created the better of the chances. Um, and I, I thought that for us to just stay patient and find a way through uh, and force them to make a mistake and capitalize on it um, to get out with a point, I, I feel like, uh, we can be happy with that, I guess, but also that the Crystal Palace should should feel very fortunate to to have that. And had we not kind of had a moment of, um, 
you know, just, just losing ourselves a little bit and not quite staying up to it on a set piece, then we would have walked out one, no winners and that would have been fine. And we would have been on this, uh, kept this incredible run going, but I think it's still uh, a pretty good run of, of form for us. And I think we should be kind of happy with, with how things are going. Yeah. I think it's a case of the palace game after they went one nil up was a case of make sure that we don't lose because we've had quite a few games this season where that's happened. It's been well, Everton and West Ham to name a few where we've gone down by a goal and we like we've struggled to get back into it. I think West Ham was the epitome of that because you know it was a game where they were in terrible form and uh, it was one that we were really looking forward to and hopefully like thinking this could be the home game that we can really turn our fortunes around and then the performance didn't match the expectations as has been quite frequent at, frequent at home. So I think it was good really good in a way to get that point because it showed that it wasn't going to be one of those one of those days where uh, we haven't taken our chances and we've let an away team take their one chance and then just defend for the rest of the game and keep us out we i mean it was very fortuitous the way that we did get the uh, the equalizing goal but you know no saints fan is going to complain and i'm sure danny ings is going to be i think martin kelly must have had danny ings as his secret santa because that pass was an absolute gift to him but um, yeah, you know, going into Chelsea and Crystal Palace before that, people would have been very, very happy with four points. I think maybe, obviously, the way the point, the three points and the one point have come in the order that we didn't expect. So maybe that's why people may might be a bit disappointed that we haven't got six. But you know, before before those two matches, you know, four points would have been a, an absolute dream return. So to actually come away with four points. To, to, to come up, to, to actually come out of those fixtures disappointed that we didn't get more it just shows how far we've come since um, the horrendous run of form earlier earlier in the year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, without this run of form that we've had recently, we would. I mean, it, things would not be going well at all. And and since you know going into those matches where we we talked about how important it was going to be um, playing the two teams below us uh, in Watford and Norwich, and then kind of that run up until now. Um, we all recognize that as, as the time when we needed to kind of step up and we did take care of business two one against both Norwich and Watford. Um, so that goes from the last game of November until now, you know, only two losses, uh, four wins and a draw. You can't really complain too much about that. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's the majority of our points, uh, for the season, just in, in this run of fixtures where in, in arguably we could have even gotten more from that because West Ham, like you said, were in such poor form. Um, we could have taken all three points against Crystal Palace yesterday. Um, but really you look at it and say like, look, this is, this is the best the team has played all season. And it finally looks, and it maybe even beyond that, it's the best the team has played, I think in several seasons uh, over a consistent run of games, even though it hasn't always been 90 minutes of, of scintillating football. Um, the team has been, I, I guess, mostly enjoyable to watch. Uh, they have mostly taken their chance as well. Uh, we've made a few mistakes, but that's always going to happen. And, and I think that the, the team is, is, is going and trending in, in the right direction, I think. I think what we really are now, and I, I really hope that it's not sort of, um, sort of like a purple patch of just doing really well and then we're going to go back to how we were in the beginning of the season. I don't think that's how, it's, how things are going to happen. But I think for the, for the, past, of the past couple of Seasons. I think this is the most dangerous we've looked as a team going forward. Against Pellegrino, there was never really much of an attacking threat from us. It was a case of we'll pass the ball slowly around and maybe try and 
hopefully get get a goal against Mark Hughes. It started off maybe a bit bit more attacking, but then went into a team that didn't really have an identity for the first time since I think since Kuman. I mean, Claude Puel did. Uh, we even struggled to score goals under him, but now I know we haven't scored uh, like a huge amount of goals this season. But we actually look like, especially away from home, we look like a team that can cause anyone any like some real problems. I mean, we really scared Manchester City. We've gone to Chelsea and we've got the points. We've gone to a relegation rival in Aston Villa and torn them apart. And I did, and like if that Grealish goal doesn't go in, it could end up four or five nil. We now look like a team that can really look that who are really dangerous on the attack. And I know that's down to one man at the moment, but you know, we've got the players coming into it who work so well off him. Shane Long and Ings work really well to, together because Ings is not a striker that's going to make the runs in behind. He's going he's going to let Long get in behind and then pick up the pieces should Shane Long miss, which unfortunately is something that happens quite regularly. But for Danny Ings, he's not going to care because the rebound's going to fall to him. So, I, I, I mean, I've said it quite a few times in the past, past minute, but we now look like a team who are actually really quite dangerous when we when we go forward. Yeah, we we look dangerous going forward and we look uh, I would say a bit more resolute at the back and and we do have uh, a question here from one of the patrons uh, Justin Woodward says, you know, have Saints finally turned the corner and you mentioned is this just the purple patch? Uh, and he says or is it a false dawn? And I think there are the signs are there that this this may be something that we can uh, start to look for. Like this is this is I think the way Saints will will approach the rest of the season and of course we're going to go through um, patches in the in the schedule where where things become more and more difficult, but I think you've seen us now go away to uh, teams that we we need to beat that that we should be beating that are are going to be you know relegation rivals so to speak and teams that that we I I don't want to say that maybe in the past would be afraid of, but um, I was always an advocate of I I didn't trust our our defense. Uh, I thought that we would have had to have changed and adapted our game plan to the teams we are playing always which meant, you know, uh, more defenders and things like that uh, against teams like Chelsea. And and now I think we're at the point where we are not doing that. And I think that shows that, like you said, the identity is is now there where um, we can take and play our game. And maybe there's a slight tactical shift and, and people have slightly different assignments from game to game, but that formation and the movement and the pressing are going to be there uh, game in and game out. And I think that is something that we... We very much need to to recognize as, I guess, just the 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 job that Ralph is doing, and and the fact that he has finally kind of figured out this is the best we can do with the players we have. This is how we're going to approach the game, and 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 to take that and apply that to to teams when uh, it works out against Chelsea the way it did, uh, where we create uh, you know a, about equal chances in terms of of the how great the chances were versus. Uh, and then against Crystal Palace, where we created um, the much better of the chances, even though we only managed to score uh, the single goal, I think you you apply that. You don't change just because it doesn't work one game. You keep uh, kind of focus, and and it'll be interesting to see what we do against Spurs uh, uh, on, on Wednesday because that that will just once again be another chance for us to play at home against a big team that um, you know maybe is, is is struggling a little bit. But I don't think we will adapt much to them. I think we'll see much the same team. And and Spurs will be the ones I think that are that are playing with their formation that they will try to uh, decide what they are going to do. And I think I, I I'm not scared of, of playing them. I don't think that we we have anything to to worry about going into these matches right now. I think as 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 confident as we are 
that if we go and play our game, that other teams are going to have to worry about that. Um, and, and that's something that feels good as a fan because it hasn't always been, it hasn't always been that way. Absolutely. I think like we're now seeing the way, like seeing the way that the team play in the way that we hoped for at the beginning of the season. We thought like when Ralph had made his signings that we'd start the season off with a bang and that we like, we'd play the way that he was so well known for. And we did, I mean, he's admitted, the team's admitted that we've lost our way in the past couple of months, but now we're getting back to actually seeing a Ralph Hasenhutl team set up the way that he wants to play, playing the way, using the tactics that he wants to, to put, to play with. I mean, as you said, like, I'm no longer scared of playing against the big teams. Yes, we're probably going to get caught on the counter if we're trying to press them quite high up the pitch, but I'm now, I'm not scared of going to Old Trafford and playing Man United. I'm not scared about playing Tottenham. In fact, I think I was saying to Callum on, uh, after the game that I think Tottenham, I mean, it could come back to bite me say, saying this, but I'd say Tottenham might even be the easier of the games between Palace and Spurs because they're going to, they're going to come and attack and they're going to be completely different to Palace because they're going to, their fans are going to think, right, we're going to St. Mary's, we're playing Southampton, a team near the bottom of the table. We've got, we've got to play from, go all guns blazing and like we've, we've got to attack and we've got to win. And with the confidence throwing through the Saints team at the moment, that's exactly what Southampton want. They want a team to come at them because they play much better without the ball. They play much better trying to win the ball high up the pitch when a team is actually trying to get at them rather than a team like Crystal Palace, Everton or uh, West Ham when they're actually putting 10 men behind the ball and going to Saints, you know, give it your best shot, try and get through. Spurs, you know, their fans, Spurs are not in the best run of form at the moment. I know they beat Brighton, but their fans will not um, forgive a manager if they go to a place like, like, like St. Mary's, being the team the size that they are and their aspirations, and then put 10 men behind the ball. That's not their fans are not going to accept that. Even if they were to come away with a one nil win, they're going to think, well, you know, why are we stooping so low to playing part of the bus at St Mary's? They're going to expect to come at us, and I think that could give Saints even more opportunities than they got against Palace. Yeah. Um, that said, they do have Mourinho as their manager, so it may very well happen. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I don't think their fan base would, would appreciate that. But. Um, it is it is going to be something to, to watch over time and, and how people adjust to how we're playing and and I have a a, a pretty good friend who's a, a Chelsea supporter and um, we were kind of texting back and forth during the match and he is not a fan of, of Frank Lampard uh, he doesn't he feels like he, you know uh, Lampard is changing tactics too often um, and and things like this and and I said like look like you look at the teams who have beat us the, the most this year either, either you're just miles better than us which I would have said the Chelsea team could be. Uh, but we're we're playing pretty well right now. Um, or they just they bypass the press. Either you sit super deep and you um, you know you force us to break you down, which which is Chelsea's not going to do at home. Uh, or you play you play over the top of us. You just bypass the press and you force us then to drop off you a little bit, and then you can play through the middle. Um, and and he just said like you know I I don't know exactly you know what the game plan was. He didn't like the way the team was set up or anything else. But um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let him take anything away from us. I think we we played. Um, as well as we could have uh, at at Sanford Bridge, I think we we have some things we could have improved on yesterday uh, or, or a lot at the weekend against Crystal Palace. And I think that you'll see us play, uh, like you said, a, a much um, much more comfortable game against Spurs simply because we're going to be able to do the things we can do. And as long as everybody is is fit 
uh, and and the, you know we, we don't have any kind of late injury concerns. I think I think it'll be a good game, and that's really as a fan that's that's what I want. I want us to win, of course, but uh, I want to watch football that is that is exciting. And I think I, for the most part we've we've had that over the past couple of, of matches, and uh, I look forward to to much more of that. And the the fixture schedule coming up is not necessarily all that kind. Um, you know, we have Spurs, Leicester, Wolves, uh, Crystal Palace again, and then Liverpool. That's not a that's not a great run of fixtures, but it, it's going to be nice. And we have a Huddersfield in there somewhere for the FA Cup too, as well. So um, lots of matches coming up, and lots of chances to, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, take some wins and, and do some good things. So I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I I hope that you are as well, as uh, you'll be commentating on several of these games as we uh, as we move forward. Oh yeah, I'm. I've got so much more confidence in the team going into these fixtures. Like earlier in the season, if you were to give me this is your next five or six fixtures, I'm thinking, wow, where where's even a point coming from? Because obviously the confidence in the team and the confidence in the fans was at rock bottom. I mean, but we're going even even against Leicester, you know, a team that you know did what they did earlier on in the season. I feel that we can go there and play the way that we're playing and even come away with something. I mean, we did it last season. Uh, we won 2-1 at the King Power. Leicester weren't as, weren't the team that they are now. I think they're an incredibly good side. They're very well managed and they've got some terrific players. A lot of them are quite similar to the ones they did have last year, but have gone up another level. But, you know, this is... I, I feel that we can go there and we still can get something. The only game out of them, of those fixtures, you know, the likes of Wolves, Leicester... And Liverpool, the only game I think that we're really going to struggle and I'd put down as, you know, it'd be a miracle if we did get anything is Liverpool. But then again, every other team in the Premier League are in, in our, is, is going to think, think that if they go to Anfield because Liverpool are just miles ahead of everybody else. But even against Liverpool, it will be very interesting to see what we can do. Because the past couple of seasons, we've gone to Liverpool and we've rolled over and it's been, I think, 3-0 both times. I'm not quite sure. But... Um, this season, obviously, it might that Liverpool are so good it could it, it could be three 0 again. But I think we'll have more. We'll be in the game for a bit longer against Liverpool. Yeah, I, I think that um, you know going to Liverpool is always a nobody wants to do that right now, and that's totally fine. Um, but but us going there and, and having this this confidence and knowing just just go play, you know, and and see what happens. And maybe you do see the team change a little bit there, and in, in terms of of how we approach it, because. Um, they are so you know clinical at this point, but they're not they're not bulletproof either. They have um, mistakes in them, especially if if Van Dyke is not playing. The defense looks a little bit shaky, but um, you know I, I think we'll go there and 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 we'll we'll just have to see how it goes. But um, should be noted that when we come up against Leicester, uh, you'll have uh, you know two of the uh, top three goal scorers in the league as of right now. Um, there and Danny Ings has scored more Premier League goals than Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling and Sergio Aguero and Sadio Mane. Aguero, of course, has been out for a while. So, but, but you look at just the job that we're, he's doing up top, uh, and you have to just praise him for everything. And I think that it, that in and of itself gives us a chance, no matter who we're playing against. Um, that the fact that, that Danny Ings can can score goals and and um, so I, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, to Spurs. I'm looking forward to the rest of the season, and um, I feel like this is a a great way to uh, to end. 2019, which has not been the greatest year in the history of Southampton Football Club. Um, probably not if you had to rank years of, of the decade, because this, of course, is the last uh, kind of show of the decade. It's not necessarily kind of, it's probably falls a little bit more towards the bottom. Uh, we've had some pretty rotten um, fixtures and, and seasons uh, recently, but I think that we are at least heading in the right direction going into to 2020 
and hopefully the rest of the season continues on that on that kind of trajectory. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's not it's not been the best year in terms of uh, you know and en- ending off a decade. And as you rightly say, rightly say, we've had so many good things going on this decade um, that it would be near the bottom. You know, the like we've, it's got to, it's a year that's got to contend with like promotions, getting to cup finals, European football. I actually put a tweet about it uh, yesterday, which got uh, several bites from Portsmouth fans. I didn't even intend it to to be like that. I was just stating what's happened in the past. Uh, 10 years, but obviously they didn't take too kindly to me putting also the uh, a 4-0 win against Pompey. So that, that was actually quite funny to read some of those. But, um, you know, it, hopefully it's going to be exciting to see if the, uh, the 2020s can actually top what has been overall a really good decade for Southampton. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that, that this is, yeah, I think that this is this is the way that we would want to end it. Uh, and there have been a lot of good things that have happened this this the the last ten years, and um, I I'm thankful for all of it because had had the team not come up when they did um, at the right time, I guess for a fan in the United States, then there's a chance that I never even get to see the team or that I don't um, fall in love with the team if they're in the championship because it just the 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 coverage is not the same. the The fact that that, that in the United States they were pushing um, the the Premier League so hard. Uh, at, at that moment when Saints were kind of arriving, and and then you you know I I love so many things about the club, but uh, for me from a from an outsider's perspective, being very objective, it's it was the academy system, it was uh, the style of play uh, under, under Pochettino that I that I kind of fell in love with, and then um, I, I quickly fell in love with Ronald Koeman as well, and the, just the speed and the the efficiency with which we attacked and everything else, and then uh, for, to have everything kind of hit just right for me to 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 find this team I think is, is fantastic. And whether you want to call it fate or you want to call it whatever it else, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there, but um, a lot of things had to happen. And, and this run uh, re- in recent seasons has not been uh, as fun, um, but we've had moments in there where, as you said, cup finals and European football and things like that. Uh, we've lost a lot of good players, but we've brought in others that I think are, are, are just as exciting. We see Janepa, we see Ings and we see, uh, some of these other guys we've watched Redmond grow uh, over recent seasons and we've seen uh, James Ward-Prowse maybe finally find a position. I don't want to jinx him um, by saying that, but I think, you know, we, we've seen a lot of good things over the past uh, couple of seasons uh, or over the past decade. And even over the past couple of seasons, even though I think it's, it's, it's marred or covered a little bit by the, by the results and the low finishes and, and the kind of fall from the heights that we were at uh, kind of earlier in the decade. But uh, all of that said, um, nothing to complain about. And I want to say to you, thank you for joining me. I didn't really, we didn't mention at the top of the show, but this is the last show of, of the decade. This is, um, almost now three, three solid years of, of doing the show. Um, you would think I'd be better at it than I am, but oh, oh well. Um, but it, it means a lot to me to have guests like you come on the show and be willing to, to, to give up time in the middle of your day to, to do this. Um, to put up with my, uh, you know, rambling at the beginning and everything else. So just to you, thank you to all the guests. Thank you to all the listeners. Thank you. Uh, this has been a wonderful kind of, uh, season and a wonderful kind of time for me. And, you know, the, the show does a lot for me personally. Um, mostly just being able to, to catch up and stay up with the team and chat to you. But, um, there's a lot of other things that go on behind the scenes that this, this show is, is my outlet. This show is my kind of creativity. This is my, this is my kind of I don't know, personal time to sit here and, and kind of pour myself into this, into something uh, and feel like I'm creating something that other people are, are enjoying. And, and it, it means a lot to me. So uh, thank you for being a part of that. And uh, I, I look forward to, to doing this again. And 
uh, hopefully uh, one day we'll be able to sit and watch a, a game together and not just have to talk about it because it's on Amazon. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I'm very honored that I'm your, the last guest of the, of the decade and uh, look forward to coming on again at some point during the, uh, the, the next year or so. And uh, yeah, just thank you very much for, ha- for having me on. And definitely, we'll definitely have to watch a game together. All right, man. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon and uh, have a safe and happy new year. And hopefully uh, New Year's Day is something we can celebrate. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. That does it for this episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Special thanks this week goes out to Tom Murray. You can find him on Twitter at T214Murray. You can get his commentary at Alan March Sport. Uh, if you have any questions as to how that works or what that does, um, Alan March Sport can be contacted. And there's a link in the show notes that will take you to um, the special page on the Saints website. You can get the information you need anyone you know or maybe yourself is blind or visually impaired. Tom also does a podcast with some of the other commentators from Alan March Sport. Uh, it's at under underscore saints. Uh, the link to that is also in the show notes. They're on a bit of hiatus, but the plan is to bring that back soon uh, so you can get that as well. So uh, this is the last show of the year, uh, the last show of 2019, the last show of the decade. So I would like to say thank you uh, to all of you for listening. Uh, this is almost three years since the start of the show, so that's very exciting for me. Uh, but thank you to you. Was Without you, uh, this show doesn't happen. Um, the other people who make the show possible uh, are the partners of the show. So special thanks to Matt Beeling of the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. He does the logo for the show. He was the first person to ever find out that the show was going to be a thing. Uh, it would not have happened without him helping me out in the beginning. So uh, thanks to Matt. The Southampton page is also the partner of the show. That's where you can go to get all of your Southampton SC news and needs. You can follow along on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook and stay up to date with everything that happens at Saints uh, in between the time the podcast comes out on Tuesdays and the newsletter comes out on Fridays. The patrons of the show also help to make the show possible. So thank you to those of you who are over there at patreon.com forward slash SFC delivery. Uh, you guys make the show happen. I really appreciate the conversations uh, we are able to have about the team uh, over uh, on our Discord channel. And it's always a pleasure to be able to give you priority for having your questions answered on the show each and every week. All music for the show comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games, and the end of show credits that you're listening to right now is Aim is True by Pottington Bear. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow along on social media at SFCDELL underscore IVERY, or also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SFCDelivery. There's no underscore in the Facebook address. I know that's a lot, but if you are enjoying the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. It really helps uh, other people find out about the show. Uh, Thank you so much. We will be back next week. I hope you have a safe and happy new year. And until next time, remember that together, we march on.